You can be seated for just a second. <laughs> Would you stand, please? <laughs> I wasn't kidding. Uh, we're we're going to read a passage together. Um, you guys will read the first screen. I'll read the next. We'll take turns, all right? You guys are up first. Nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we... God, we humbly and joyfully and expectantly come into your presence. You are God and there is no other. You're great and awesome and powerful. God, you speak and things that were not become as if they already always were. God, you are over all things, before all things, and God, you hold all things together. And God, for some crazy reason, you put on flesh 2,000 years ago and invaded this planet, and you showed us how to live. And you told us to have the same attitude as your son. And so, God, I pray today as we open up your word, God, that we'll hear your voice. God, God I, I pray that we, we all lean in to hear words that were literally breathed by your spirit. And, God, I pray that because of our open hearts and open minds, God, that, that you will find soil that is rich and fertile and that will produce a crop 30, 60, 100 times what is planted. God, help me to speak well for you today. And God, may my words bring you honor. And God, may you be honored in this room today. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated if you like to be. Later on the day, second service, you can come check it out. Uh, since April 27th, we've been unpacking a letter written by Peter, a, a guy who had a, a knowledge about a relationship with and access to Jesus that is unprecedented in all of human history. I mean, think about it. Really think about it. Peter spent three years with Jesus, up close and personal. Yeah, Peter was there when, when Jesus opened up blind eyes. He, he, he was there when Jesus healed lame limbs. He, he was there when, when Jesus cured deadly diseases. He, he was there when Jesus cast out powerful demons. He, he was there when Jesus multiplied food, when he fed thousands, when he walked on water, when he turned water into wine, and when he raised the dead. Yes, he was there. 
Peter had a ringside, front row, center stage seat to the hundreds of miracles that Jesus did when he wore flesh. And not only that, Peter saw him, saw him die and saw him live again. Crazy, awesome, life-altering stuff. In Maple Grove, this is the guy who wrote the letter that we've been studying now for several months, a letter that is overflowing with life-inducing, God-breathed truth, like that we've been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Life-altering truths like we have an inheritance in heaven right now that can never perish, spoil, or fade away. Life-altering truths that the salvation that you and I have, that we get to experience, that we have access to every single day would totally blow the minds of both the angels and the prophets of old who would love to get in on what we get to experience every day. Forgiveness of all sins once for all time. Um, uh, The removal of do to be and trying to measure up. Adoption into God's family. God actually lives inside of us and the life that we can now live because God's spirit is in us. Truths like somebody is watching us. And how you, you and I, we can turn the fact that they're watching us into this incredible opportunity for the Christ to invade their lives and change their forever simply by the way that you and I live out our faith, by the way that we deal with sin and temptation, by submitting to authority, but by, by following God's design for our marriages, by the way that you and I handle conflict and, and the way that you and I display Joy and peace and hope, even in the midst of the most intense kind of suffering. In Maple Grove, we have some more awesome and life-altering unpacking to do this morning as we look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, in a conversation that I am calling Armed and Dangerous. And we got a long way to go and a short time to get there, so let's get to it. He starts off with these words, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude. Let's hit the pause button for a second. Ask a few questions. What are we to do? We are to what? We are to arm ourselves. Question, what what pictures, what images uh, come into your mind when you hear the phrase armed and dangerous? Here are a few images that came into my mind of of people who were armed and dangerous. And see if you can guess who they are. Anybody know who that guy is? What's his first name? John Rambo, right there. He is armed, and that man is dangerous. How about this next guy? Maximus Decimus Meridius. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. Commanders of the armies of the north. General of the Felix Legion. Loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius. Father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. I love that line. Anybody know who this is? Any Lord of the Rings fans out there? Aragorn, all right? How about this next guy? No, what's his name? Ray? Rooster Cogburn, right? Okay. How about this man right here? Die Hard. What was his name? 
John McClain, got it. Okay, here's some real warriors right here. That's some Navy SEALs. They're some bad dudes, seriously. Uh, I, I, I saw the, the movie Lone Survivor, read the book. There's some, some crazy guys. Here's something else I always think of. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, my goodness. That happens to be the USS Woodrow Wilson 624 Blue Crew. All right, 16 Poseidon missiles, multi-warheads. Mark 48 torpedoes, beautiful thing. Here's another thing I think of. I saw that this week. That is Chuck, a member or tenor of our church in his family. That is a seriously dangerous family, right? <laughs> I also think of this guy right here. Who's that? <laughs> Wally Coyote, right? He is armed and dangerous, but I think he's more dangerous to himself, right? And, and, and not only do those images come to my mind, but also to the words to a song um, of 25 plus years ago uh, by a group called Petra, okay? Uh, I grew up in the 70s, classic rock, the best music of all time. You know, seriously, if you don't believe it, then God someday will convince you of your errors, all right? And, and when I became a Christian, it's like, seriously, that, that's all there is for music? And then I discovered Petra, you know, I go, cool. And here's one of their songs from 25 plus years ago. It's called Armed and Dangerous. You gotta love the hair here. Check out these words. Seriously, good. They wrote some of the best lyrics. It used to be a distant call, thought to be for some, but never all. Now our wounded lay on every side. Now this call to arms can't be denied. The enemy will tremble as young and old assemble a mighty army up in arms. Armed and dangerous, God's enemies will scatter. Armed and dangerous, we'll see the darkness shatter. His army is worth its weight. No weapon can penetrate. Armed and dangerous, we're ready to storm the gate. And I, I, I got to tell you, I wore that cassette out, man. And if you don't know what a cassette is, if you're too young, you can Google that. It's kind of like an A-track, right? Kind of like a Betamax, right? Um, but I love it. You know, we're armed and we're armed and dangerous. I understand John Rambo, John McClain, Rooster Cogburn, Maximus, and Wally Coyote looked armed and ready, but however, they weren't in a real war. We are. And it's been going on for 2,000 years. John writes in Revelation 12, chapter 17, and then the dragon, that Satan, was very angry at the woman, that's the church, and went off to make war against her and all her other children, those who obey God's commands and who have the message of Jesus Christ taught. And Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Uh, question, is, is what Paul said true and what John said true? I mean, has Satan declared war on the church, war on me, and war on you? You know, are we really in this struggle against principalities and powers? Yeah, it is true. Then that's some really scary stuff, right? And, and listen, it's not wise to face an enemy who's out to kill you and destroy you unarmed. A guy named Sergeant Howard Ray wrote these words in 2014 in, in, in an interview. He said this, when, when our soldiers are unarmed, they will find themselves in a situation like yesterday and in 2009. 
And Sergeant Ray was a survivor of the initial Fort Hood massacre in 2009 when 13 soldiers were killed and 30 were wounded. And then in 2014, four soldiers were killed and 16 were wounded because, you know, the bases are gun-free zones. And he said, our soldiers were unarmed and they were unable to fight off an enemy with a weapon whose intent was to kill them. Again, Peter writes in verse 1 of our text, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself with the same attitude. Have you ever thought of Christ's attitude as a weapon? I never did, but Peter, the one guided by the Holy Spirit, says that it is. And listen, if you and I are going to arm ourselves with Christ's attitude, we, we need to know what that attitude is. So what is the attitude of Christ? Well, we read about it, right, in Philippians chapter 2. I understand, if I, if I were asked to define in one word the attitude that God the Son demonstrated all the time in all circumstances and with all people when he walked this earth, it would be the one word, selflessness. Understand that Jesus, you know, understand nothing that Jesus ever did was for himself, nothing. Instead, Jesus was always, and I mean always, focused on other people and what he could do for them. And here's the point. If, if we, if you, if, if I want to be able to defeat an enemy who's declared war on us, we must arm ourselves with the same attitude. We must arm ourselves with selflessness. In fact, selflessness, when you boil it all down, is what being a Jesus follower is all about. We read these words in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. We read that a few weeks, and faith comes from hearing, and I make that my alarm. 8.34 every day. It goes off in prayer every Sunday morning, which is a great time. The alarm goes off. And it reminds myself as I start my day, hey, guess what? The day's not about you. And today, Steve, you need to deny yourself. You know, every Sunday, you know, as part of my Sunday morning ritual to stand up here and speak, you know, I write the word me on my hand, and I take a line, I cross through it. That You know what, Steve? Being up here, standing up here has nothing to do with you. It's not about you. Because I can so easily make things about me. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live to please themselves. Instead, they'll live to please Christ who died and was raised for them. And I love what Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, right? Paul says, I have been crucified. I have been beheaded. I have been executed. I have been lethal injectioned with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, we have a powerful enemy, an enemy who, who seeks to still kill and destroy not, not only the life that God created us to live, but, but also the lives of people around us that, that God in his sovereignty has placed there so that you and I can influence them for their good and for his glory. So, so how do we become armed and dangerous? And the good news is, you know, we, we don't have to wonder. We don't have to guess at the answer. 
Because Peter in our text gives us the answer. Understand, in these 11 verses, Peter is, is going to show us how to arm ourselves with a divine weapon, one that has the power to demolish strongholds. That weapon, the attitude of Christ, the attitude of selflessness. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians verse 10, chapter 10, verse 3 and 4, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Not many people in our world are arming themselves with selflessness, are they? On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. I understand, there, there is no weapon more dangerous to our enemy than selflessness. But if we're honest, we'd have to admit that it's really hard to be unselfish, isn't it? I mean, denying ourselves does, does not come easily. It does not come naturally. And, and sometimes when we think we're being unselfish, we are, in fact, actually being the exact opposite. You know, it, it's amazing to me how much of what I do, though camouflaged so well, mind you, is really all about me. I, I mean, there have been times where I'm totally convinced that somebody else is being selfish, and that I am being the noble and giving one, when reality, I'm the selfish one. I shared when we began this series about our trip to California, right? When Laurie took me out there and we rented a convertible driving up to PCH, and that's my thing, not her thing, right? And I'm getting my mind blown. This is amazing, this is amazing. And there was a period of time where I'm like, I'm starting to get a little bit ticked at her because, like, how come she's not enjoying this the way I'm enjoying it? I'm thinking, how selfish of her, literally. How could she be so selfish not enjoying it the way I'm enjoying it? What a buzzkill she's being. Then I goes, really? She flew out the country. She's doing something she doesn't want to do because of you. And God goes, but I was convinced. You ever done that? Yeah, you have. You're messed up too. I'm convinced of it. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. it, it Trying not to be selfish is difficult and frustrating. And you know what else? Every time I think that self is gone, it just comes roaring back from inside of me like a monster in a cheap horror movie. Yeah, like Michael Myers of Halloween fame. Self just won't stay dead. I mean, there's sequel after sequel after sequel after sequel. Church, if you desire to be unselfish, if you're frustrated at how hard, unself, how hard selfishness is to overcome, if you're tired of suffering defeat at the hands of your enemy, if you want to be armed with a weapon, a weapon that will demolish the enemy and the strongholds he has in your life and mine, then you're at the right place at the right time because Peter in our text is going to give us seven core convictions Convictions that as we embrace them and live them out will arm us with the attitude of Christ, an attitude that will seriously kick Satan's butt. And listen, not only will being selfless kick our enemy's butt, it will also enable us to experience true freedom. You see, though it, it is so counterintuitive, it is only when our lives are no longer about us that we truly begin to live. Okay, let's do this. Let's get armored up. The first thing we need to do 
in order to be armed and dangerous is to just say no to sin. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live like the rest of he, as a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Question, what did Jesus do when he was tempted? He just said, he said, no. I mean, one day Satan comes up to Jesus in the wilderness and you know, he knows Jesus is about to begin his ministry, a ministry designed to destroy him. And Satan's been waiting for this moment ever since Genesis chapter 3. And he, he comes up to Jesus and says, come on, Jesus, satisfy your fleshly desires. Turn this, these stones into bread. Jesus said, what did he say? No. Then he said, come on, Jesus. Here, here. you can have all the wealth and all the riches of the world. They're yours. Jesus said, No. He said, come on, Jesus, you're the son of God. Don't you want to show the people how powerful you are? Jump off this temple. Jesus said, no. He said, Jesus, here you go. Jesus, you can have the crown without the cross, which was a lie. And Jesus said, he said, no. I understand like Jesus, we are to be, as Peter says in verse 1, we are to be done with sin. Because the truth is, if we don't stop sinning habitually, We'll no longer be armed and dangerous. We'll never be armed and dangerous. We'll never be armed with selflessness because all sin at its root is about us. And it's been that way from the very beginning. I mean, why did Adam and Eve take a bite of that fruit? Because they knew it would taste good, right? And it looked good. It would make them like God. What is the middle letter in the word sin? Anybody know? Yeah. We got a major eye problem, don't we? I mean, look at the massive list that Paul gives of, of sins in Galatians 5, and every single one of them is about having an eye problem, right? Every single one of them is about satisfying the desires of self. Here's what he writes. The wrong things the sinful self does are clear. Being sexually unfaithful, not being pure, taking part in sexual sins, worshiping gods, doing witchcraft, hating, making trouble, being jealous, being angry, being selfish, making people angry with each other, causing divisions among people, feeling envy, being drunk, having wild and wasteful parties, and doing other things like these, right? They're, they're all about self, right? Again, the root, the core, the lifeblood of sin is selfishness. And Peter in our text says two things about being done with sin. Number one, he says, we've already spent enough time there. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. And I think he's right, right? It's like, okay, we spent enough time, haven't we? Doing the things we know we're not supposed to be doing. Number two, Peter says that we can say no to sin. No, not every time because we'll never be sinless. But we can say no a lot more than we are saying no. Each of us can sin less, right? Uh, we can get angry less, right? Uh, we can be less divisive, right? We can be less, less. How? By saying no the Jesus way. Well, how did he say no? 
What enabled him to say no? Number one, Jesus, this is simple. Jesus hung out with God. You're shocked by that answer, right? (laughs) When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he had just spent 40 days with God, and the enemy thought, you know what? 40 days not eating, Jesus is at his weakest. But the reality was, ever since God put on flesh, he had never been stronger because he hung out with God. Do you hang out with God? I don't mean just to check off some religious box on your checklist. But do you hang out with God just to know him? And remember, how much does he want to be with you? He said, I ripped my son in half. So you could be with me. So you, that's, how much I, that's how much God wants me to know him. He says, Steve, I'm, I'm the creator of the universe. I breathe stars, and I want you to know me this much that I ripped my son right in half. You spend time with God. I mean, that's the reason, you know, I do faith comes from hearing all the time, right? Um, nine is over, ten is coming, you know, next week. And just to be in the word. You hang out with God. It enables us to say no to sin. Second thing enabled Jesus to say no to sin was that he, he allowed suffering to teach his body. It says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Now, understand, suffering, if we let it, can teach our bodies that our bodies are not in control. You see, our bodies always desire to do what they want to do. And we suffer for whatever reason. Many times, the fulfillment of those desires are blocked. And Peter says that when that happens, we can use this suffering to teach our bodies that life is not about satisfying the desires of our flesh. Bottom line, suffering can be used to teach our bodies that they're not in control. That, that's exactly what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, when he says this. Paul says, like an athlete, I punish my body, treating it roughly, training it to do what it should, not what it wants to do. To be armed and dangerous, we have to just say no to sin. Two quick things about sin. One just hit me the other day. Um, This truth right here, we must never confuse God's patience with our sin as tolerance of our sin. God is never tolerant of sin, belongs for us to repent and change. Why? Because he is holy and sin is not our friend. Right? I mean, God is patient with my sin, but never tolerant. Tolerant means like, well, it's okay. I won't worry about it. God's never that way. And also, you know, sins of omission are also about selfishness, right? right? I mean, why don't we give like we should? Why don't we serve like we should? Why don't we, why don't we share our faith like we should, right? Because what? Because we're selfish, right? Because it's about me. Second, we become ardent and dangerous when we refuse to be wrongly influenced. He says, of course, your former friends are very surprised when you no longer join them in the wicked things they do, and they say evil things about you. But just remember that they will have to face God who will judge everyone, both the living and the dead. Yeah, they're judging you, but one day they'll stand before the ultimate judge. That is why the good news was preached even to those who have died, so that although their bodies were punished with death, they could still live in the spirit as God does. In other words, even though these Christian martyrs had died, they're okay because their spirit is with God, and they accepted the message when they heard it. 
Have other people ever influenced you to do something wrong? To get drunk, get high, cross sexual lines, the gossip, the slander, the lie, the cheat, to be divisive. And when we give in to wrong influence, who are we doing it for? Are we doing it for them? No. You see, either we're doing it for ourselves because we really want to do it in the first place, or we're doing it because we care what they think about us, right? If we don't do that, we care about our image, which again is about who? It's about us. It's about us. Does that make sense? You see, in the coming weeks, when we find ourselves in one of those situations where somebody is wanting to get us to do the wrong thing, stand firm, do the right thing, and when you do, you give self another death blow. Next, we become armed and dangerous when we pray as if the end is near. Peter writes, the end of all things is near. That was 2,000 years ago, by the way. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can, what? You can pray. Question, if we really believe the end was near, would we pray any differently? I mean, if you really believe in your heart that Jesus was coming back this Friday at 12.27 p.m., would your prayers this week be any different than your prayers last week? Guaranteed. You see, though sad, the truth is, our prayers are often reveal just how selfish we really are, how selfish I really am. I mean, who do we spend more time praying for? Others, the advancement of the kingdom, or for ourselves? Who did Jesus spend more time praying for? I mean, even as his earthly life was drawing to the close, who did Jesus pray for? I mean, you can check out John 17 this week, but you see that Jesus' prayers were all about his disciples, about us, and about God's will being done. Now, the early church, they, they believed that the end of all things were near, and they prayed differently than we do. I mean, when these persecuted, beaten down believers were threatened with and actually put to death, they did not pray for God to remove their hardships but rather that God would be revealed through their hardships. That's radical, right? That's crazy. That's building shaken prayer. Now, bottom line, we need to change the way we pray. The motivation can be the end of all things is near, right? The pattern can be for our prayers is Jesus gave us a great pattern, right? It's called the Lord's Prayer. It's going to pop on the screen. Let's say it together. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, we, we start by praising God and and then we ask for God's name to be honored in, in, in our life and for God's name to be honored in our world. And, and then we pray for the advancement of God's kingdom, of God's will in the heart of men to advance, beginning with our own heart. Then we ask for God's help with the very present day. Then we ask God to help us to stay away from sin and ask God, give me the strength to forgive those who have hurt me. And then we remind ourselves what it's all about. It's all about his kingdom and his glory forever and ever. Amen. Understand, every time we say no to sin, every time we refuse to be wrongly influenced, every time we pray as if the end is near, we become armed and dangerous. And Peter says also we must love other people deeply. 
Above all else, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, this is not the first time that Peter in this letter talked about loving each other deeply. Chapter 1, verse 22, he said this, now that you purified yourself by obeying the truth, now that you are believers or Jesus followers, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Understand at its core, love is about selflessness. In fact, real love, God's kind of love, is the exact opposite of selfishness. What is love? Selflessness. What keeps you and I from loving like we should? Selfishness. As I read that classic passage of love found in 1 Corinthians 13, you'll see God's description of a selfless love. And what I want you to do as I read this, I want you maybe this week to, you know, pick out one of these aspects of selfless love and say, hey, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that for somebody this week. And not just for people that you like, but even for those you would rather run over with a semi-truck, right? Got any of those in your life, right? And, and, and by the way, when you love people, you'd rather run over the semi-truck. That is not hypocrisy. That is called obedience, right? It's not hypocrisy. It, it's, a, it's called obedience. So pick out one. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal which one you need to do this week for a few people. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Become armed and dangerous. You know? We say no to sin. We refuse to be wrongly influenced. We pray as if the end is near, praying for others and God's kingdoms to advance. And we, and we love others deeply. And Peter also says we open up our lives. He says this, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And showing hospitality at its root is more than just letting people into our home. Hear me. It's about letting people into our lives. And this is definitely something Jesus did, Right? I mean, when you read the Gospels, you see that people are always coming up to Jesus. Huge crowds, great needs. And even those times when when Jesus tried to get away from the crowds, they would find him. And he would always do what? He would always let them in. Understand, opening up our homes, opening up our lives is something all believers must do, and especially what elders and leaders have to do. Now, Now, what keeps us from opening up our homes, opening up our lives to other people? Selfishness, right? Right? I mean, it's going to cost us something, right? We open up our lives, it's going to cost us time, it's going to cost us convenience. It may cost us some of our 401k, right? It may cost us our neat and orderly life, because guess what? Some people's lives aren't as neat and tidy as ours are, Right? It'll cost us something. I love what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 8. We love you so much, we delight it to share with you not only the gospel of God, but what? Our lives as well. We've got to open up our lives to other people, right? You know? I struggle. I used to struggle really bad with this. And, and then I married an Italian. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm from an Austrian home, right? You know? I mean, nobody came into our house. You know, my mom had nobody in. A real quick side note here, if you're actually, it's actually the flip side of opening up our homes and lives. 
See, if we're trying to die to self, make sure you're not being selfish about coming into somebody else's life and home to the point where you begin to take them for granted and you no longer appreciate it. Where do you begin to treat them like a raisin? See, a raisin used to be what? Used to be a grape. You know, a, a, a prune used to be a plum until somebody sucked the life out of them, right? You know, right? And, and you know, in Proverbs, we read it this week, and, and faith comes from hearing. Don't visit your neighbor too often or you'll wear out your welcome, right? So be sensitive, right? Well, you're supposed to open up your life to me, and you're like, <laughs> next you are in danger, try to outserve others. I'm not making any of this up. It's God's word. It's true. And Jesus literally outserved everybody in sight. And the greatest example beside the cross is in John 13 when he, he, he washed his disciples' feet. And, and you know the story. I mean, it was a dirty job. No one wanted to do it. Why? Because it was the lowest job. Well, why? why? Because they just didn't want to. They were selfish. Why? Because at the time they were more concerned about a title than a towel. And so God got up, wrapped a towel around his waist, and he washed people's feet. I'm convinced if someone came in right now and said, you know what, we have a toilet not only clogged in the men's room with yuckiness, the yuckiness is now on the floor heading to the carpet. I'm convinced that God will be the first one in there in line to clean it up because he's a servant. That's who he is. See, we've all been given by God talents and gifts, right, to, to use to serve others. Peter puts it this way. Each one, and by the way, you're sitting next to each one, okay? Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. That encourages me, right? I'm not up there blabbering today. I'm speaking the very words of God this morning. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. Imagine what a church, imagine what Maple Grove could do, what we could accomplish if everyone had the attitude of let's try to outserve each other. I mean, imagine if this community of believers at Maple Grove came here each week and throughout the week, not to have people serve us, but to see how we could serve others, not to keep a list of who didn't say hi to us, but to make a list of everybody that we reached out to when we walked into this room. Man, that kind of serving would make us armed and dangerous. And, and you know what? You know, speaking of outserving others, this coming Saturday, we're having two meetings, one at 9 and one at 11. As you know, uh, you know, Bill Mack is, is no longer on staff. We, have, we need help in buildings and grounds. God, talk to somebody right now. I feel like one of these guys, God is just talking to somebody in this room. You know, it's you. You know it's you. You're a plumber. Right? No. Nine o'clock, be there, right? Just be there. Help us out. We need your help. Guest services, 11 o'clock, you know? Bill's done a great job in his team of making people feel welcome. Like, hey, we're actually glad you came here this morning. If someone honors us with their presence for the first time, we want them to feel welcome. You know? And some of you need to be there at 11 o'clock. And all I ask is, if you sincerely pray about those things, you know, I don't have to worry about anything else, right? The Holy Spirit will lead you. You know, some of you are saying, I ain't going to pray. You know, just pray. Hey, God, you know, and, and I, I trust that he'll do the right thing. 
Next, become armed and dangerous. Run away from personal glory. Peter writes in verse 11, so that in all things, you know, in the serving, in the refusing, in the loving, in the opening up, in the praying, in the saying no to sin, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So in all things, who should be praised? God. To who be glory and power forever and ever? God. Question, do you like the praise of people? I'll answer that for you. You do. Uh, do you ever do things for your own glory? I'll answer that one too. You do, and so do I. And I hate myself for it. I, I mean, I, I hate how quickly that I can become the focus of all that I do. I, I hate how quickly how I can try to turn a conversation in the direction that heaps some praise on me. I hate that. You know, I do that. I go, okay, well, they're getting praise. I'd like some praise too. So how do I? I hate that. But I still do it. I hate that. Peter says, we got to run away from personal glory. We got to run away from wanting to shine the light on us, but shine the light on him who is the light. God gives a pretty strong warning against praise in Proverbs 27, 21. The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, right? Is it pure? Is it real? Is it genuine? But man is tested by what? The praise he receives. How do we handle it, right? How do we handle it? Do we want more of it? I mean, there's nothing wrong, you know? You know, and someone says, you know, hey, Ray, great job on that special. Ray should say thank you. Not, oh, well, it was the Lord. No, just say thank you. You know, well, it was God working through me. It really wasn't. No, just say thank you, right? You look good today, right? Hey, Tom, your hair looks good today, right? Tom just, see, he just gave me two thumbs up, right? Well, it's the Lord today. When I looked in the mirror, he just showed me how to part my hair this morning. No. <laughs> it's okay, right? It's okay to say thank you. But we're tested by, right? Do we want more of it? Do we want it for the wrong reasons? Peter says the way to defeat our enemy is to arm ourselves with the attitude of Christ. In Maple Grove, every time we say no to sin, every time we refuse to be wrongly influenced, every time we pray as if the end is near, every time we love others deeply, every time we open up our lives to others, every time we outserve other people, every time we run away from personal glory, we arm ourselves with selflessness. We arm ourselves with the one weapon, that divine weapon, that will defeat our powerful enemy. Amen? And listen, whenever self is defeated, whenever self decreases, God increases, and God gets the glory. And by the way, only he deserves the glory, amen? Only he deserves the glory. Maple Grove, it's not about me, and it's not for me. And it's not about you, and it's not for you. It is all about him, and it is all for him, and for him alone. Question, have you been, have you been making life about you lately? As a great theologian, Dr. Phil, would say, 
He says a lot of good things about getting up in my grill. You're in my grits. I ate my first rodeo. But he would say, how's that working for you? How's that working for you being the center of the universe? Probably not working out so well. Probably not working out so well. That's what I find, you know. Pretty much whenever, my, whenever I'm tanking and discouraged and depressed and all that junk, you know why? I go, oh, it's all about me. <laughs> it's about my world not working out the way I want my world to work out. You know, it's, it's, when it's not about me, I'm free. And I don't know about you, you know, but I, I personally needed this reminder this week. Uh, the reminder about the power of selflessness and a reminder about who it's all for and who it's all about. It's all about him and it's all for him. Would you pray with me, church? Father God, we love you. and God, thank you for your unlimited patience with messed up people like us. And Jesus, thank you for modeling what it looks like to live a life that's selfless, Lord. And God, I pray that, you know, this morning that it, words that you decided to breathe on the paper 2,000 years ago, God, that they just penetrate our hearts and you would just change us, Lord. Lord, I'm so weary of making life about me. And you paved the way to make it about something else. And God, I, I pray that you'll continue to speak to us and and God, I pray for our church, Lord, that we'll become everything you want us to be. And God, I pray for those who are struggling today and, and the enemy's got a grip on them that, that maybe, God, it's because they're just making it about them. If they would just turn things around and make it about you, things would get brighter and things would get better. God, thank you for your glory and your presence in this room today. And God, I pray that in just a moment when we sing these words, God, about you taking our life, God, that it's, it's more than just words up on the screen or words that are vibrating on our vocal cords, but it'll, it'll be the prayer of our heart, God, that you will take our life and you'll make it what you want it to be, one that reflects your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and pray and sing with me?